News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Eye on Health, care for you and your parents. I am Jason Kong, and this show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care. And the man who I call the heavyweight champion of Transitions Life Care is Cooper Linton, and he's back. He was playing hurt last week. We, Cooper, it's good to have you back. Glad to be back. Glad to be off the uh, disabled list. <laughs> and uh, a regular presence and host, Nicole Bruno with Transitions Guiding Lights. Good I'm evening, Nicole. I'm glad you did not call me a heavyweight. I'm quite the flyweight, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad to be here. Well, it's good to have you. And I, I would never, never call you. I, I'd call you a champion, but I wouldn't call you a heavyweight. Nice save there, Jason. No, thank you. Thank you. Now, Cooper, uh, I'm still very, very new at this, very green. And I'm learning that every week there's some sort of abbreviation and lots of letters that you guys throw at me and this week it was ccrc's continuing care retirement communities did i get that right absolutely we do not want a week to go by without an acronym we have to have an acronym i'm going to start keeping a list or a rolodex of these so that i can reference back to them because there's there's a lot so we throw the acronyms around routinely and one of those you're right is ccrc's um, and it does stand for Continuous Care Retirement Community. We have uh, Adam Melton with us from Galloway Ridge, which is uh, located just north of Pittsburgh in Chatham County. And we've asked Adam to join us today uh, to kind of help demystify and explain uh, some of the components of what a Continuous Care Retirement Community is and help people understand what they need to know if they want to look at one. So welcome aboard. I'm glad you're on the show today. Thank you so much, and uh, I, I I appreciate you guys not calling me a heavyweight because uh, <laughs> that that uh, that probably would have done something to my ego there. Um, the the funny thing is, you bring up acronyms and CCRCs. Well, they're actually looking to change that acronym, so they're trying Isn't to be nice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> just just to try to confuse everyone, but um, they're actually going with life plan communities now. Okay, so that, is that official? That is official. It's the rebrand. It is the rebrand. Is it a tree? Is what is it? Well, I, <laughs> you don't I, haven't I seen the t- picture yet. I haven't seen the picture yet. They, they haven't sent me the memo, but the, the life plan community is what they're trying to go to now. Um, it's something that Leading Age, mm-hmm. our, which is our national group that um, helps kind of lobby for us in, in the in Washington and, and all of the wonders that go on in that area. Um, That's a good way to put that exactly. too. Look at him; he's so I'm, political. Did he run for office? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, after seeing this last cycle, I don't think I want to run for office. (laughs) It's anybody's game. Exactly. Exactly. Um, But yeah, glad to have, glad to be here, glad to be able to talk about life plan communities, CCRCs, um, and kind of shed some light on some things that maybe people don't know about them. So I guess let's let's take it from the top. On this show, we've talked about a lot of different levels of care, and obviously not everybody listens every week. Uh, so it's definitely important, I think, to really review exactly what a life plan community is and what types of care can be provided within them. Great question. Um, you know, I, I tend to look at a life plan community as basically a life insurance policy, um, and hence why the 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 industry is regulated by the department of insurance um which is kind of an odd thing when you think about working with healthcare. interesting yes um but when i call it a life insurance policy it's really in a, a policy that says we will care for you through all of everything that would happen in your life um we have independent living which um you know a lot of people term it as long-term care communities but they're really not these are active folks that are involved in wellness programs um, are still retired doctors professionals in the areas who um, 
really come to live, um, for, for the lack of a better term. Um, and then we have assisted living, which is kind of a step down, and then the actual skilled nursing part where um, you would need total care and, and things like that. So I look at it as kind of the best of all worlds. You you sign on to live in these, these great communities that provide all of these services, and um, through through all of that, you have the ability to be taken care of for the rest of your life with with no burdens and placed on your children, family, um, and the, the big decision makers in your life. So you mentioned independent living right. as a level of care. And then we talk about how everything changes in life and you guys are going to be there throughout the duration of someone's progression. What are some of those other progressions? What are those other levels of care? How do you live out that commitment to someone being able to essentially age in place regardless of what goes on? Well, we have a lot of communities out there will have um, home care. Um, and so they, they, they have those services there that have, keep, have you the ability to, to stay in your homes, um, provide services, whether you need some med management, um, just daily reminders on um, meal times, things like that. Um, because the whole ideal really with a, a CCRC life plan community is to keep you as independent for as long as possible. Um, you know, and then the, the other wonderful thing that you have is you have professionals right there on campus who are there to kind of help you through some of these life changes. Um, you know, so when you notice that things are starting to become more difficult, um, uh, there may be times where forgetfulness <laughs> sets in. Uh, it does for me. So, <laughs> um, you know, you have professionals there that can help lead you through that step. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people will get lost in the healthcare system as it is today. It's a very complicated system. Um, so, I, the real benefit is just having the people there that can help lead you through this complex system. So I'm kind of curious to, to understand exactly where's the portal of entry in this system? I mean, do you enter when you're really independent or do you enter, you know, when you need the assisted living level of care? How does that work? It, it kind of depends on the community. Honestly. Okay. Yeah. So that's complicated. Um, and exactly. It's not apples it, to apples. Exactly. Um, some communities have it where you have to come in through the independent realm. And I think that's what I'm more familiar with. Right. And, and that's, that's similar to what Galloway Ridge you know, mm-hmm. where I work at right now, you have to come in through independent living. But there are communities out there where you can enter in all levels of care. Um, mm-hmm. It really depends upon um, your licensure mm-hmm. and, and the, the ways that you um, initially applied for that licensure, um, meaning we have something called a CON, Certificate of Need. Which is? Which is basically the state giving you permission to run and operate a health care entity and so when you when you sign up for those you make the distinction on whether you want it to be open to the community or closed to the community Mm -hmm. so those that are closed to the community can only service people that move in through the independent living Um, those that have open certificates of need uh, can basically have people that come in through the, the public at any level and at galloway ridge you guys chose the which path we're we're a closed con so um we had People have to move in through the independent living. So I can't, for example, at Galloway Ridge, I can't come out of the hospital needing rehab and um, 
go get rehab care at Galloway Ridge because you guys do have a nursing facility. But unless I have already bought into the CCRC, I can't go there to get my rehab. You're correct. You're correct. But that's not the case for all CCRC. Some of them have an open design. That's correct. All right. So if what about couples? I mean, one of the things we hear about is families wanting to stay together. And it's a real challenge because husband and wife or whoever that couple's defined to be may not progress at the same state at the same rate. In fact, most of the time they don't. Somebody gets sick a little faster than than somebody else. I know that may be a large question, but are are you able to handle two different people in, in the same family? A- absolutely. Um, through my career, I've seen where um, you you keep flexibility in in the communities. Um, I've seen sisters living together. I've seen um, all, basically all kinds of families. Um, but I think the number one thing is we try to keep husband and wife partners together um, as much as we can. Uh, We have some, especially like in assisted living, skilled nursing, we have the ability to um, have folks in the same room together. Um, You know, and so anything, any way that you can kind of try to keep the lives as close to what it was, you know, I think is the best realm to go. So we've already gotten introduced to an acronym that's changed to Life Plan Community. Um, it sounds like there's some uh, real expenses associated with this. And so hoping in a few minutes you can lead us through uh, how do we pay for this? What are some options? Uh, what do some of the cost structures look like that families need to consider if they are thinking about uh, looking at a life plan community? Yeah, we'll Absolutely. get into that discussion in just a second. And we're speaking with Adam Melton, who's the Director of Healthcare Services at Galloway Ridge at Farrington. And you're listening to Eye on Health on News Radio 680 WPTF. listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Eye on Health, Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. And I am Jason Kong. With me as always is Cooper Linton and Nicole Bruno. And Cooper, we've got a special guest in right now, Adam Melton, the Director of Healthcare Services at Galloway Ridge at Farrington. And we're learning about Continuous care, retirement communities, uh, and we just learned last segment that they're now called life plan communities, Cooper. And we're going to get into the discussion of who who are these communities, uh, who, who should be at these communities, and how does it affect your pocketbook? Well, I think you can't separate those two questions, Jason. Mm-hmm. Is, is this right for me also includes whether or not this is financially right for me. Um, but as we often say on this show, people are funny about money, and they're really uncomfortable talking about whether or not they have the financial means uh, to handle their end-of-life care plans. Um, And and unfortunately, I think we think of uh, life plan communities as maybe end-of-life later stage, but Adam brought up earlier, these are people that are very independent, uh, have very vigorous lifestyles, and at some point, all of us will deal with latter stages of our life. But um, the time to think about this is before you're necessarily facing some sort of health care crisis. Uh, so it really leads us into who's right for this, 
Uh, what's the right fit? How? Do, what are some questions somebody should ask of themselves and of a life plan community to determine if it's a good fit for them, Adam? Uh, that's a great question. I think um, you're exactly right. You need to figure out whether this is right for you. Um, you know, I always say there's about six basic questions that you want to ask yourself before you get into this. Um, number one, do you want to downsize your homeowner responsibilities? I don't know about you, but I really do because – Can I do that grass, now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I have a honey-do list this weekend that's probably a mile long, so I would love to do that right now. Um, you know, and then do you like to plan ahead so that you can p- potentially reduce, um, eliminate uncertainty about your future housing uh, and your health care needs? I think there's a lot of things out there that are unknown if you just leave it to chance. Um the other thing is, if you would ever need skilled nursing, assisted living, would you want to have assurances that the services are contractually obligated to you? I think it, you know that's one of those things that you can kind of do in the forefront before you even need those. Um, and probably one of the most important that I see is, do you enjoy a social and active lifestyle? Because obviously there is a certain aspect of that in communal living. When you're in a community... You're around a lot of people. There's a lot of social events going on. If if that's something that may not interest you, that's one thing to kind of keep in the back of your mind. Um, do you want to – and then this is another big one as a, as a father of three. Um, you know, do you want to reduce the burden that could be potentially left for your children? Um, you know, and kind of take those decisions out of their hands so as, you know, you kind of get towards end-of-life situations – those things are already planned, and children are not left kind of scrambling, hoping that they're honoring your requests. Um, and then, as you mentioned, the last part is, are you in a financial position to be able to pay for something like this? I think um, the predominant or the, the most amount of communities out there are essentially private pay. Right. Um, so there obviously are some costs associated to it. Um, most places out there have an entry fee so it's a it's a lump sum of money we, that you we talking ten thousand dollars or five thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or a quarter million dollars um it can be anywhere from around i'd say the the range is around two hundred thousand to up to a million dollars depending on the community the location so this is a high dollar upfront commitment it is it is um it's essentially kind of as if you're buying a home it's it's a it's a life investment sure sure so is this um a question just related we sometimes we talk about uh, long-term care insurance policies is this something that those ever help with absolutely mm-hmm. um when not you, with a lump sum though I'm not guessing. not with the lump sum <laughs> yeah <laughs> i thought i found a loophole i'll sign me up today who's my agent <laughs> that, that, that was a nice try um, but no, um the the long-term care policies do play a role obviously mm-hmm. they can kind of help circumvent some of those costs on the mm-hmm. end when you start getting into the healthcare care sure, areas sure. Um, and actually we we do kind of promote that with families to, to look into that mm-hmm. um, a lot of the families out there nowadays have had these policies for multiple years i think we're we're dealing in this is a great thing with a more informed society yes. when it comes to um, how to plan for your life mm-hmm. um, so you know it's one of those things i think if you're not looking at some form of long-term care insurance, odds are it's probably best to start looking at some of those things now. I know some of the objections I've heard from families, it's because they don't understand, right? So when they come to me, they may say, well, you know, my mom gives this ex uh, uh, life planning community $200,000 to get in. 
that was basically our inheritance. Do we do we get that back? You know, you know, say she only lives there two weeks. What happens? And I think there's sometimes some hesitation on families of, you know, we don't know how long loved one's going to live. You know, maybe the genes will say, oh, you know, grandparents live to be a hundred, so then maybe they live twenty years. But you know, you just somebody could have a stroke the next day. So, kind of, are there some things put into place to kind of help families with that financial risk? Well, th- there are some refund options, obviously, <laughs> okay. you know, and I think that's it's good. It's a, and it's a, it's a big question. It we is get. A- absolutely, yeah. and, and it's good to know those things. I think there's predominantly kind of two different routes that communities will go. Um, a lot of them will have what I call like a traditional declining balance that over a certain amount of a time period that mm-hmm. the your entrance fee, the com- or the community keeps a portion of the entrance fee, mm-hmm. and so if you left after let's just say six months. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever portion of that mm-hmm. the the community would keep and then you would receive the other okay. lump sum um and then there's others that kind of really explicitly define that um you know you can get 50 percent back if you decide that this is not for you you can receive 90 percent back um and then there's also a certain amount of communities out there that have some equity-based mm-hmm. models out there. So essentially, you're like you're buying a home, and basically the difference in the market rates, you could potentially make a profit on some of these things. Mm-hmm. So it really, again, is specific to the type of community out there. So another common objection I hear from families, I like to be MythBuster here sometimes, is um, kind of like the Hotel California. Once you check in, you can't get out. Right. Is that true? I mean, you know, because I think sometimes families feel like there's some more freedom if you just move into a traditional independent living community and you don't like it after a week and it's easy to leave. Is that a similar, I mean, are you sort of forced to say like a timeshare you don't want to have or do you have some flexibility with being able to leave if it's not a right fit for you? There there are always flexibilities that mm-hmm. you, um, if the community's not a right fit for mm-hmm. you, you can um, always talk to the individuals, the administration and um, typically, there's always, for lack of a better term, an out clause, if you want to sure. say. Um, so, no, we, we I promise we don't uh, keep people in <laughs> against their will. So but These are the kind of questions people Absolutely. need to ask, is, Absolutely. Is, is, is what's the structure? What's what's the upfront cost for me? What would be my monthly expenses? Is this going to be uh, consistent moving forward, or can I expect variable costs moving forward that may change as my condition changes? Uh, what are my what's my capacity to get in or out of this contract if I don't feel like uh, it's a good fit for me? And I think those are questions that um, our listener audience really needs to to consider and be prepared to ask if they go meet with a life plan community. I think that's one of the first things that you need to to sit down and talk with the people about is what is their cost structure? How does that work? Um, because again, and I've said this multiple times on this on this show that it really is community specific. Each one of them has a certain contract type that they deal with. Right. Um, there are some out there like Galloway Ridge that are what they call life care communities where you essentially pay an entry fee and then on a monthly basis you pay another fee and that fee never changes depend even when you switch levels of care. Um, so those types of communities will kind of give you some expected costs and some consistency, um, but they are typically a little bit more upfront. Um, there's also communities out there that are 
fee for service. So kind of pay as you need the services. But again, you'll be dealing with that will have variable um, expenses over time, depending upon what level of care. Um, and then also if rates go up based upon market values and things rates like that. Rates can change. Right. Adam, you've given us a lot to, th- to think about, given our listeners a lot to think about. And as they think about it, they may have additional questions. Uh, what's the best way for folks to reach Galloway Ridge or to reach you if they have questions? Um, the, the easiest place to go is to our website, uh, GallowayRidge.com. Um, it will provide all of the information um, and some on basic CCRC living and then obviously specific on Galloway. Um, to reach me, the easiest way is honestly email. Um, <laughs> in this society, it, yeah, the telephones, we don't stay centered around telephones <laughs> easy, but um, amelton at GallowayRidge.com is is a direct line to me and and would be willing to help answer any questions that may come my way well appreciate you answering questions this morning and helping us understand the new terminology life plan community that's Absolutely. right adam melton the director of Healthcare services at galloway ridge if you missed any part of this discussion please go to wptf.com find eye on health and you can uh, hear and share all the wisdom that adam shared with us in relation to life planned communities uh, we'll be back in just a bit you're listening to eye on health care for you and your parents a service of transitions life care which was founded as hospice of wake county and you can find them online at transitionslifecare.org this is news radio 680 wptf You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF, and this is Eye on Health, care for you and your parents. And this is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. With me, as always, I'm Jason Kong, uh, Cooper and Lin- uh, Cooper and Linton. I'm changing you into a law firm, Cooper. That sounds awesome. Do it, Cheatman How. I got it. Cooper and Nicole are here with me uh, this evening, as always, and we're we're switching gears a little bit here. You know, well, I guess we're we're still kind of staying on the planning tract, but this is a different type of planning that we're going to get into. It is a little different type of planning, uh, Jason, and and the reality of it is we don't like to talk about this stuff, but at some point, everybody is going to die. And Am I included in this? uh, Most likely. I mean, you seem really healthy now, but I think it's just a matter of time. I don't know. I I, I don't feel good, Cooper, but... But uh, well, the one guy told me I plan to live forever. So far, so good. <laughs> uh, okay, but your times—you know—all of us are mortal. That's yeah. the reality of this. And at some point, we got to talk about funeral planning because it does have an impact on caregivers. Mm-hmm. Those people that are caring for you now are going to be the ones that are be making your arrangements moving forward. And there's a psychic weight and burden to this. And so we've invited Robin Simonton, who's the executive director for Historic Oakwood Cemetery here in Raleigh, North Carolina, to join us for the show today because she has some very unique perspectives on uh, the the cemetery world and the funeral business. Uh, you, So, Robin, welcome to the show, and thanks for bringing your expertise. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So we didn't want to just bring you on to talk about death, uh, but you said one. You used a term earlier. You said we can talk about these things early when they're still funny, mm-hmm. and I thought that was a great way to approach the topic when there's still an opportunity for some humor involved. You know, definitely. You know, we um, we work with families sometimes just before they're going to need us, um, or maybe years before they're going to need us. But there is nothing like riding on the golf cart at Oakwood Cemetery and pointing out 
Jesse Helms or Jimmy V or other local notables or just interesting headstones on your way to planning your own, um, your own final arrangements. Um, recently, we interred someone who just, uh, he and his wife came out on a nice pretty afternoon. We had a little tour. We joked around a lot. And then a few months later, it was his time to, to join us. And all the family could say to us was, up until the end, he talked about how he, he was looking forward to being part of this community, that he had fun. He remembered the wind through his hair and the, and the golf cool. cart ride. And that gave his wife great peace to know that he got to pick out the location. He was involved. And while he wasn't no looking forward to joining us, that he, he understood um, and, and it was just part of the decision and it was a gift for everyone. And, and it was fun, quite honestly. It was, it was great fun for all of us. So how do you get started? You know, that's probably the hardest part. I hear this a lot. People come in on maybe on their birthday or come in because they've just buried a friend or a friend's parent. Um, and the hardest thing is calling or coming in. You know, no one, when you open the door to the cemetery office, you do kind of feel a little ill, like it's the beginning of the end, even if you just have a slight cough, right? <laughs> you know, no one really wants to um, admit that they're going to be a permanent resident somewhere someday. And, and coming in um, and just either asking for a price sheet at any cemetery, um, asking for what the options are, or like I said, just asking to go on a, a ride around the cemetery to see the options. Or really the first way. You, know, you have to be able to wrap your arms around this. Um, it always entertains me when someone comes on their birthday. This is how I decided to spend my birthday. <laughs> really? Celebration. <laughs> you know? but, but there's a headstone at Oakwood that says time on it. It's not the person's last name. It is simply a reminder that time goes by very quickly. And it's something, it's something that we should all start planning earlier than later only because your wishes have to be known. You can't leave your family in a lurch to not know what you would want. It's not fair to them. It's an important gift, actually. To, instead yes. of leaving someone to anguish, what would what, they have wanted? Mm -hmm. you know, if you know, that's a true gift that you give that person. Oh, it is. And it, you know, I, I think funeral directors will say there's something like 40 decisions in the first 72 hours or something mm -hmm. like that after death if you haven't talked about it yeah you know and there were, and it's not like it was 70 years ago where you would just be buried in the local cemetery or the church cemetery now you can be cremated yeah. now you can be green buried now you can go in a church columbarium yeah you know a national cemetery the options are endless yeah. and it's a lot to wade through unless unless you're prepared definitely so one of the things i think when i think about the cemetery is that it's been around so long I actually, and I know this is pretty ignorant on my part, I didn't realize you had space. Yeah, well, if I had um, a nickel for every time someone said that to me, I would be rich. Because most people think Oakwood Cemetery is full. I mean, you drive in, you see the front entry field, which is where the horses used to park when there were funerals, and then you see row after row of headstones. And of course you assume, oh, there's no space left. Um, but really, there's over 200 years of space available to sell at Oakwood Cemetery. We even have an additional 20 acres that we rent out to the city that, that are for long-term use that we won't take back, you know, for a while. Um, so the cemetery itself maintains its, well, it's a nonprofit um, cemetery. It maintains itself by selling property. It's still um, its main um, business uh, income. Is actually selling plots. Correct. So you threw some terms around, Robin. Oh, One I? of them was, oh, yeah. You said <laughs> green burial. Yeah. 
Uh, you didn't throw any other colors around, nope. just, just, just green. green. <laughs> just not because of money. Not, not because. <laughs> <laughs> so we, ta- and we talked about cremation, and you talked mm-hmm. about using the term columbarium. Mm-hmm. Could you spend a couple moments and kind of uh, explode those terms a little bit for us? So we're going to start with columbarium first. Don't ask me to spell it, and spell check always thinks it's spelled wrong um, in Microsoft <laughs> Word. Um, never right. Um, a columbarium is a place for urns. It's um, an above-ground, typically, um, vessel that holds multiple urns. Um, so if you've been cremated, a lot of people think that, oh, I'm going to be cremated. Um, and then they never think about what happens after that. Um, a lot of times urns stay on people's mantles. One in five Americans have an urn in their house. I do. I run a cemetery and I have an urn in my house. Um, it's true. Um, and and ultimately, uh, people don't know what's next. And so an urn can, can, you know, sometimes you can scatter people. You can burial at sea turn someone into a diamond, um, whatever. But, um, but you can also um, have your urn interred at a cemetery or at a church, um, sometimes at a college campus, um, in a columbarium. It's, it's simply a final resting place for, um, for people who have been cremated. Green burial, on the other hand, is um, a return to the way we used to bury people. Um, if you think about the way Oakwood started with its Confederate cemetery um, in 1867, I would say those folks were green buried. Were they environmentalists? No. But they weren't embalmed. They weren't in a, um, a fancy metal casket or a concrete vault. They were in pine boxes. Everybody was green buried back Everybody then. was green buried back then. And it wasn't until the 1950s that cemeteries began to require outer burial containers or vaults. Um, and it's, it's not a state law that you have to be embalmed. And that's, that's a big misconception that people think, well, I don't want to be embalmed, so I'm not I'm not going to be full body buried, but it's it's not a state law to be embalmed. There are some exceptions of when someone needs to be embalmed, um, but but not a law. Um, and so a green burial se- we have a green burial section at Oakwood, and a green the green burial section is simply someone who is either in a shroud or a pine box um, or a coffin without metal. That's important. Okay. Um, and then no outer burial container, and obviously no embalming. Um, we don't allow metal stands for flowers in that section. Um, and it's simply the person just returns to the earth a little faster um, than you would if you had all those um, outer burial containers. In when you're saying outer burial, we're typically thinking a, a concrete a vault. A concrete vault. That's exactly okay. right. And so it's a, it's a section that we started about six months ago. Um, it's amazing how popular it was. I started it at the cemetery because, quite frankly, that's what I wanted, but I wanted to be at Oakwood. <laughs> and so I was a little selfish. And um, so I picked out a nice spot that I thought I would like. And then you took a little executive privilege yeah, exactly there. Exactly right. That was good. Um, and we had a green burial open house. And, um, and it's amazing how far people will travel for a green burial space. Um, and also, if you have family at Oakwood, but you didn't want to be um, buried in the, in the traditional sense, the, um, the modern sense, then you would be able to um, be in this green burial section. So how did we get to the point where we began getting embalmed and put inside these concrete vaults? And did it have to do with flooding areas? Or I mean, it's kind of curious to me how it's gotten so almost like the entire society so sanitary and contained. (laughs) Well, death has become very sanitized. And it's it's really changed over time. If you remember, not that any of us are old enough to remember this, that we, what we used to do is we used to, you'd be buried in your, you know, you'd have your wake in your house. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the term par- funeral parlor or funeral home came from. And so we really just separated ourselves from it because it's a hard topic to talk about. So all of that came, that, that very separating ourselves from death and the vault and everything came about as we, we slowly began 
to not want to talk about death and leave it to professionals and not bring it home like we used to. Well, very good. We're talking with Robin Sigmonton, the executive director of the historic Oakwood Cemetery, and we're going to continue our discussion on funeral planning. I'm, I'm guessing, uh, Nicole, that we'll probably get into, you know, again, who's this a fit for and how much does it cost? Mm-hmm. And we'll do that here in just a bit. You're listening to Ion Health, Care for You and Your Parents which is a service of Transitions Life Care and founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can always find them online at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Ion Health, care for you and your parents. I'm Jason Kong, Cooper, and Nicole alongside, as well as Robin Simonton, Executive Director of Historic Oakwood Cemetery. And we're talking about funeral planning, and we're going to get into the subject of pre-planning right now, which is important for everyone. You know, it's 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 probably not the first discussion that you want to have on the holidays or you know gathering around with a family reunion but it's it's something that it's a discussion that everyone really needs to have it's important it is uh jason it's a a very important conversation it's very similar to the conversation we encourage about advanced directives which is essentially uh, planning for the inevitable and being sure everybody knows your wishes and uh, during the break robin and i were talking that uh, when my mother realized that she was not too far away from end of life, uh, she actually, we were coming back from church one Sunday, and she goes, I think I've changed my mind. I don't think I want to be buried. I, I think I really want to be cremated. How do I go about making sure that happens? And my response to her that morning was, well, Mom, you just did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the critical piece was that someone thought about what their wishes were and then took the next step of informing the person who's going to be making those decisions, not informing someone randomly, um, but really making sure that the people who are going to be executing your choices know what they are. Uh, and so, Robin, get us how do we, get us a little further down that path, if you would. You know, do I, I I come to you guys first? Do I go to a funeral home? Is there a wrong door here? Well, there isn't really a wrong door, and and I always tell families when they're pre-planning that they should really. Find somebody, whether it be a cemetery or a funeral home, that they're comfortable with now because they're going to have to be comfortable with them during a really hard time. And not to, you know, not to walk into a place cold that they haven't met the people before. Um, so pre-planning benefits the family in many, many ways. But pre-planning also benefits the family in terms of pricing. Um, I can't guarantee where our price point will be in 10 years, 20 years. I have no idea. But I know what our prices are now. And when you pre-plan... You do lock in today's prices. You put, at Oakwood, you put 20% down and pay with no interest over two years, um, monthly, quarterly, whatever. Um, and then you can also lock in the cost to prepare the grave for burial, so not just the grave space itself, um, but the, the grave preparation. And not because it's enough that you, you, know, you either buy a grave space or you buy a house. It's not nearly that expensive, as expensive as people think it is. Um, but it, it takes the, it's the peace of mind to be able to say, Here's the deed for our property. It's in the safety deposit box. When when the time comes for me, you know my kids know where it's at and know who to call. Um, and then you're also taking advantage of what will obviously be cheaper prices than it would be in 20 years. And so, do people also typically involve the funeral home in some of this as well? They do. They do. They definitely do. You know, you see people pre-planning um, at the funeral home the, their casket selection or their urn selection. Um, they can sign the paperwork for their cremation, I believe. Um, and they can they can talk about what they would like 
in terms of um, services when they go to the funeral home. So let's talk a little bit more particularly about your cemetery. Kind of what should people know about it? What are some of the differentiators, so to speak, compared to some other places in the area? Well, the pro- the, probably the biggest difference is that we're a nonprofit. Nonprofit cemetery run by a board of directors. Um, you know, we're 148 years old this month. And so we've been around a long time. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> and so, um, But all of our board members are landowners and have families buried there. So they have a vested interest in the success of the cemetery. We're just kind of a mom and pop, an old school mm-hmm. mom and pop. Um, so that's the biggest difference. The other thing is, even though most people think that, you know, you, you think of Jesse Holmes, you think of Jimmy V, you think of Elizabeth Edwards being buried there. There's 25,000 people buried at Oakwood Cemetery, and most are known only to their families. So you don't have to be famous to be at Oakwood. You just are like any other person walking down the street to be buried at Oakwood. There's no difference um, in terms of how you can be buried there. You don't have to be a senator. Um, And the other thing is we are really, um, even our staff, I mean, from most of my grounds crew are Vietnamese Montagnards that fought in the U.S., in in the Vietnam War for the U.S., sided with us. I mean, we are... Probably, and this is not an attack on anyone else, but probably the most approachable people you could see are not the typical cemetery salespeople. Um, um, and when you buy property at Oakwood, as much as you may not want to, you become part of our family. Um, and after people bury their loved ones, they come back to visit. It's important to us that we, we build relationships. You know, at a funeral, um, the funeral home serves you and then does a great job of aftercare, but at Oakwood, you're, you're going to come and visit your loved one and you're going to come and visit us and we get to see you and see how your children have grown and see what goes on. And it's, um, we, we're, we really are proud of the relationships we've built with our families over these 150 years. So it sounds a lot like it's not very transactional. It's more relational. That's exactly right. Yeah, it seems like, you know, this is kind of an intimidating subject as I, I kind of hinted at the beginning of the segment. But, you know, just this conversation with you, uh, it, it sounds like, you know, you, you were talking about how people might come on their birthday and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. It seems like there might be some sort of – you might have an intrepidation or, you know, some sort of anxiety of going in there. But it sounds like you guys are really great at sort of disarming that. And I, I think you come away feeling relief afterwards and feeling excited almost. That's what we hope. And that's what we hear from our families that, they you know, they walk – even at the time of need and they walk in to sign the paperwork, they dread it. It's a very hard part. You know, mm-hmm. like this is the part where you actually have to physically – say goodbye to the body at a cemetery. Wow. It's the part driving away that is impossible. Um, but we try to make it as painless as possible. Um, I'm not really a hugger, but I, I will hug at work. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that. Um, but we try to make it as painless as possible. We try to make sure that families know that we're here for them and that when they walk out, whether it's pre or at need, that we're here for them throughout that process and throughout their lifetime. Um, you know. A family had lost a baby a couple of years ago, and they came in at Christmas with um, with a six-month-old, and they wanted us to see her and hold her because we had seen them through the hardest moments of their life, and they wanted us to see them during the happiest moments. And those are the biggest gifts that we have from families, to be able to watch, to watch them grow and watch them change over time. So we try not to be intimidating. We know people are afraid the minute they walk in that door, they say, are we in the right spot? And I, they kind of are hoping we say no, I think, you know, no, go, <laughs> go down the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but you are in the right spot. Um, and we hope that when families choose Oakwood, they realize that they choose the relationship um, and in a friendship that develops over time. Robin, I think it's interesting that you and Nicole uh, both have used the word gift in this process. And, and I think that gift is one of uh, psychic unburdening. 
if you can if I can make up the unburdening word, I think that's a real word. But to <laughs> it is uh, now. It is now, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but the idea of giving the gift to your loved ones of not having to make a very difficult decision at an impossibly difficult time in their life. Uh, and if we can approach these decisions from the concept of uh, unyoking our loved ones from hardship in the future, that gift is powerful. And it's powerful in the present as well, even if it's a tinge on the uncomfortable side to have this discussion. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I like the way you guys have, have positioned that. Well, I think it's important, and it is a gift. You know, you hear families say that, oh, when my mom died, I didn't know how hard it was, and I want to make sure my kids don't go through that same thing. So people learn and, um, and want to make sure their kids are at ease later on. It'll be hard enough to begin with. Exactly. The process of losing somebody is emotionally very challenging, mm-hmm. even without all of the logistical components of what do we do and where do we go. So I, I think having these plans in place makes a lot of sense. Robin, what is the best way that someone uh, can find out more about this topic and and reach Historic Oakwood Cemetery? Um, Well, our website, um, historicoakwoodcemetery.org, is probably the best place to go to see a little bit more about the cemetery itself and a little bit more about our offerings. Um, And then, of course, to to reach me, you can reach me at the cemetery office or via email, um, robin at historicoakwood.com. Perfect. Uh, Robin Simonton, Executive Director of Historic Oakwood Cemetery. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and for having a, a great conversation with us. Uh, if you missed any part of what Robin had to say or you want to go back and listen to it, you can go to WPTF.com and check out the Eye on Health section, and you can find the full episode there. You can share it with a friend. You can also hear our discussion with Adam Melton on life-planned communities and uh Nicole, we're about to wrap up the show here, but I thought that this was uh, some valuable information all the way through for everyone in terms of in terms of planning and just having a discussion with your loved ones. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a really important conversation. We appreciate the fact that our guests came in today because you know t- difficult topics, things that people don't want to face, but so important because the reality is we're going to face it all. Right, and you know the the con- I really like the concept that uh, we discussed earlier of it almost being a gift of this planning and uh, not having that burden uh, on your loved ones. But we are rapidly running out of time here. Please join us again next Saturday night at seven for Eye on Health Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, founded as Hospice of Wake County. Find them online anytime at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. <laughs>